the patient says, you know, and doc, I don't have any sex, sexual desire. I have no libido. That's really why I created the sexual CPR program. Girl, you've got questions. Questions about your body and how to feel good in it, about your hormones and how to keep them in check. Questions about your sex life and your whole health. Can you imagine having a best girlfriend who was also a triple board certified OBGYN? A girlfriend doctor you could call and ask or tell her anything. Someone who could show you how to live any stage of life before, during, or after menopause in a big, bold, and beautiful way. Well, friends, I'm your girlfriend doctor. I believe you were meant to flourish and shine, to embrace life and awaken to all its possibilities. Let's get there together. Welcome to our show. Women's sexual health is a hot topic for sure. And this podcast is really a contribution to my physicians, my practitioners out there, my health entrepreneurs, anyone who's dealing with women going through health issues, menopause, hormonal change, lack of desire, discomfort with sex, a feeling of disconnect with their spouse to see, you know, the importance of, um, our physiology in this, as well as the seven key ways to create some sexy. So while this is designed for physicians and healthcare providers, I know that each and every one of you will gain something from it. So I wanna share this episode with you and I look forward to your comments and questions. Hello everyone, it's great to be here with you. I'm Dr. Anna Kabeka. I'm a triple board certified OBGYN. So I trained at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and then went on to board certified in regenerative anti-aging and regenerative medicine, and then integrative medicine. I practiced for over 26 years in Georgia, and I'm now in Dallas, Texas. Um, I've worked to inspire, teach, educate, and somewhat entertain in the, in the education field to really message across, especially when it comes to women in transition with hormone balance through the time period of menopause and for the sake of longevity. So today my topic is hot topics and women's sexual health. And some of you may have heard me teach on this in the past. So addressing it a little different way today and in the future, we'll look forward to addressing your questions and elaborating on any of the specifics that you know, questions you may have that arise from this discussion. Well, it's great to be here with you. Um, uh, disclosure is that I am uh, the creator of products, including Jolva, Mighty Maka, Keto Green, and um, author of books, The Hormone Fix, Keto Green 16, and my soon to be released book, Menu Pause. Yep, you gotta love the name, Menu Pause. So at the conclusion of this talk, my goal is that you are very familiar with normal sexual function and can discuss the psychological, physical, hormonal, and medication-induced causes of sexual dysfunction, as well as the effects of stress on cortisol and oxytocin. Because without oxytocin, sexual function is impossible to optimize. 
also going to discuss restorative vaginal treatment options, both hormonal and non-hormonal. When it comes to sexual health, it's typically an issue of desire, discomfort, and disconnect, these three areas. So we'll address that in here. And I always like to make the point that the vagina is essential for life. No one of us got here without it. And I'm going to talk about vaginal androgen, hormonal therapy, as well as the cortisol oxytocin connection, and a really big point that physiology drives behavior. I've been in this area of sexual health and medicine, certainly for well over 20 years. And one of the big things is I've seen the rise and fall of different therapies and drugs and medications come our way. One of the things is certainly with testosterone. The big thing is testosterone affects our physiology, certainly, and our physiology affects our behavior. So testosterone will drive up dopamine. Novelty-seeking behaviors can be a result of that, as well as aggression, anger. Several years ago now, I was treating a female patient that came to me from Louisiana, and then her husband uh, followed up and he became my patient. And I worked with him on testosterone therapy and all other things too, right? Detoxification, dietary management, he had some heavy metals, all of the good things that we're going to address from a functional perspective and holistic integrative pers- perspective as well. Well, and I cautioned him on, you know, testosterone, you know, let me know, this is how much you should be injecting, inject this much weekly. And let me know if you just feel like you're not acting like yourself. He called me up a few months later. He says, Dr. Anna, I think something's, you know, I think my testosterone's too high. I'm thinking thoughts of another woman that I don't want to be thinking, nor would I ever be thinking. And so I said, okay, stop your injections. Let's check your levels. And certainly his levels were like 1,300, 1,400. We got him down to a sweet spot, which was around 800, 900. And he felt the best at that. Their relationship was amazing. And that, that definitely um, diverted a potential problem, affair, et cetera. And that's something that I've asked, you know, I consulted for some really big uh, hormone clinics and anti-aging clinics and divorce rates were really, really high. And that's not what we want as physicians. We want to improve relationships and intimacy and connection to the best of our ability. And, uh, you know, and I know you do too. So understanding that key point, physiology affects behavior. And when it comes to sexual health issues, we treat the couple over the individual. So what is normal sexual function? And what do we need to have normal sexual function? Well, we need good health. We need hormone balance. We need to be able to communicate our desires, to be comfortable with our body, have an interest in sex, be arousable, and have adequate vaginal lubrication, as well as be able to achieve orgasm. There are seven key areas of sexual health, seven key areas that can get in the way of feeling sexy or, you know, those to have normal sexual function. So in any of these areas, physical, psychological, emotional, relational, spiritual, environmental, and medical, these are all key areas. I don't have time to go into all of them today, but I'm going to hit on a couple. And I have for clients, for patients, an entire program called Sexual CPR that goes into all of these areas in detail. So I've introduced myself, also known as the Girlfriend Doctor. I love that name. A little aside, Sherry Salata and Nancy Hollow 
uh, coined me with this in their podcast. Sherry Salata was Oprah's final executive producer for um, Oprah show. So I, that name stuck and I love it. So, and I think it's just that being able to talk to on difficult subjects in a way that makes people feel comfortable to share their story. And when we're asking patients to share their story, we want to be able to share our story too. So I do that for purposes of, of teaching and also because a picture says it's that thousand words and we don't have that much time. <laughs> so when I was 39, I was diagnosed with, post-traumatically diagnosed with early menopause and infertility. I failed the highest doses of injectable fertility meds with no ovarian response. My dear friend and colleague, a um, well-trained reproductive endocrinologist said, Anna, your only opportunity to have another child is possibly through egg donation. That was devastation on devastation uh, for me at the time. Um, I struggled in so many ways of my life and the effect of stress and post-traumatic stress had its toll on me physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, in, in so many ways. And in these pictures, you can see where I was well over 240 pounds at one point and tremendous hair loss, um, it, you know, terrible hair loss. Women, we don't like hair loss. I don't think guys do either, but especially, especially is terrifying for women. And so as a result of my healing journey around the world, I was able to slim back down, improve my quality of life, my emotional status, and my relationships all the way around, plus become pregnant again at 41, naturally delivering a healthy baby girl. So I'm now 55 with a 13-year-old. She's a barrel racer, and that's why we're here in Texas with horses, horse trailer, and I drive a Ford F-350 now. So uh, a lot changes. We do a lot for our children. And certainly being a mom now of four, four daughters, I am really a big advocate for hormonal balance throughout our lifespan. And longevity starts in the womb. So being advocates as physician for the quality of life, protecting our reproductive age, patients, family members, friends, et cetera, is, is certainly a high, the highest priority and um, for physicians and also one I'm incredibly passionate about. So when I was 48, you know, I'd been doing well, but then PTSD really reared its ugly head. And, and I experienced, uh, uh, again, the, all the symptoms of menopause and including including the PMS, the hot flashes, the mood swings, the irritability, et cetera. And this is why I say it takes more than hormones to fix our hormones. I'm going to go over the hormonal issues, but even when we as physicians dial in the reproductive hormones, there are three other key major hormones we have to address in order to get back into a physiologic balance. In this slide, as you can see, our mother hormone is progesterone. DHEA for both men and women start to decline in our mid twenties. Now this is graphed out for dramatic effect. So, um, but you can see in our mid twenties, DHEA starts to decline for both men and women, progesterone in our mid thirties. And we enter what I call, certainly there's this estrogen dominance, but this is the period for each and every one of us, a period of neuroendocrine vulnerability, neuroendocrine vulnerability, from ages 35 to 50, our progesterone will decrease 75% and estrogen decreases 35%. 
So a huge shift in progesterone. Well, of course, we need progesterone to make cortisol. And if we're adding in stress of the physical changes, not to mention all the things that are happening in our 30s, 40s, and 50s, we're really plummeting um, progesterone during this time. And it is our most neuroprotective hormone. It's, it helps with brain function for sure and memory, helps with bones. It's uh, protective for the breast. So here we enter this period of neuroendocrine vulnerability, and there's a lot going on here. So we have the estrogen swings and the hot flashes, mood swings, vaginal dryness, loss of desire, incontinence symptoms, sleep disturbances, but you can anxiety, depression. So you can see it's not just gynecologic symptoms that bring a patient into our GYN offices, such as the irregular menstrual cycles, the heavier than normal periods, the breakthrough bleeding, ovarian cysts, symptomatic fibroids, all of these things are happening, but it's the neurologic symptoms, the PMS, the anxiety, the irritability, the insomnia, you know, all of these symptoms are happening at the same time. And even with hormones dialed in, your patient may still be complaining of these symptoms because again, our reproductive hormones, as much as I wish they were the end all be all, they're just a piece of the puzzle. So what else is going on here? Now, this is a really important factor because as I was going through, you know, my story ties into my professional, my personal story ties into my professional story. So as I was going through the second menopause and my, you know, 47, 48, having all of those symptoms I just mentioned, um, the brain fog and the weight gain without doing anything different, right? Hormones dialed in. That was probably the most troublesome. Having been well over 240 pounds, that weight gain without doing anything different is terrifying. So I went strict keto and I knew about the ketogenic diet because I used it in my neurologic patients, seizure patients. And I have a daughter, my oldest daughter is with, has seizures. So I was very familiar with a ketogenic diet. So I went straight keto and I started feeling what I called keto crazy, keto cranky, irritable. But as a, you know, having as a single mom with teenagers at home and a wee one in elementary school, man, you cannot afford brain fog at all. So that was really troublesome. But however, the, you know, the waking was even more troublesome. So I had to ask, why am I feeling like this when, you know, I'm very familiar with the great success stories around keto. And I just did what I would tell my patients to do when I was detoxing them, putting them through an alkaline diet program to help their um, hormone balance. And I just checked my urine pH. Well, it was as acidic as the pH paper read. And really, urine pH is a vital sign. And it's so important to us, just like our pulse and our heart rate variability and our blood pressure. I mean, it fluctuates throughout the day, understanding why and to what stimulus it is or nutrients it is, is really critically important. So that was a huge aha moment for me. But as I got, as I realized that I added in the greens to my ketogenic diet. And as I combined the ketogenic diet, a clean ketogenic diet with healthy alkalinizers, definitely getting into ketosis, like my memory returned. I had tremendous brain clarity. I felt sharper than ever. And I was like, huh, what is going on here? You know, why should this be any, any different? And the key thing is this paper was published in Nature Reviews Endocrinology in May of 2015. 
um, I found it well after my own personal experience, but this is one of those aha moment research papers. It showed this um, top line, the red line is glucose metabolism in the brain. And the black line is endocrine and neurologic symptoms. Well, look at this glucose metabolism in the brain drops significantly along those lines of the progesterone decline, but estrogen decline as well, drops significantly in the perimenopause age 35 to 50. And the neuroendocrine symptoms increase and spike during this time. They never go back down to baseline. But what, and neither does glucose metabolism in the brain. So this is fascinating. And the reason is glucose metabolism in the brain is an estrogen dependent process. Gluconeogenesis in the brain is estrogen dependent, but the use of ketones for fuel, so fat molecules for fuel, when we're on low carb and or fasting and we get into ketosis, ketones for fuel is not hormone dependent. So this is a beautiful, this is a really beautiful discovery. And that's key. Now also getting into ketosis and a ketogenic diet is very acidifying. Men do it better, I don't want to say better, but do it um, safer because they have 10 times as much testosterone. Each and every one of you know that's an anabolic steroid, 10 times as much. And as we're going through perimenopause and menopause, we're already losing muscle mass and even with supplementation of testosterone. So you really want to address this, address the differences between men and women. Although the keto green diet works amazing for both. And um, I've been working on that. So time of neuroendocrine vulnerability, this period 35 to 55, this is when patients are coming into our offices. They are asking for help. And if not, they're self-medicating. So I love this. I love this cartoon that says, all of my friends have gone back on estrogen. Oh, but not me. All of my happy pills have small M's on them and come in yellow, red, and green. Yay to M&Ms, right? Thank you, mini paws. Uh, so cute. Uh, self-medicating and over-the-counter medications go on the rise. And we know that some of the most common over-the-counter medications are antacids and anti-inflammatories, which further create a gut dysbiosis, creating worsening neurologic symptoms, right? So affecting serotonin production. And we really want to address that. By the, it's average by the time someone's in their 50s, on average, women are on two to three prescription medications, and they're typically anti-anxiety medications. So I've written these two best-selling books, The Hormone Fix and Keto Green 16, and my new book coming out is called Menu Pause. So what, and the big thing is this combination of getting into ketosis in a healthy way and incorporating healthy alkalinizers. Now, this is a really big thing. Like, so in, you know, 2015, when I uh, first started leading the keto green diet, keto alkaline, keto green diets and, and lifestyle, because it's not just about what we eat. And I'll explain that more in a few, but what is very popular now are using the minerals. Minerals are alkalinizers. So using addition of minerals to your ketogenic diet is a piece of the puzzle, but you've got to add in. Like nothing substitutes whole clean food and especially the, the alkalinizing grains and the broccoli sprouts and the you know, fermented vegetables that we can add in and really combining this, this information. 
In September of 2019, there was a CNN news flash that said hot flashes are linked to twice the cardiovascular disease and cognitive decline, making that association between hot flashes and cardiovascular disease. Is it because of the loss of estrogen? Well, you know, that may be a piece of the puzzle, but that is not the whole thing. As we enter, as we get older, right, all our reproductive hormones are going down, certainly, but insulin, we become more insulin resistant and cortisol is also going up. And cortisol is the most acidifying hormone in our body. And again, we need progesterone to make that. And for those women who have lost their ovaries at this time through surgical removal, it's even a bigger challenge. More studies need to you know, tease that data out, but this was really important to look at. So um, insulin resistance is associated with increased hot flashes. So we can give estrogen all we want, but if, until we create that insulin sensitivity and we do that in a tremendous way by going keto green, by the keto green approach, by intermittent fasting, by restricting carbon, by getting into ketosis, doing extended fast, all of these things, increase insulin sensitivity and decrease hemoglobin A1C. And it's crucial to physical health and desire so that, you know, addressing some of these seven areas of um, sexual health. Now, I always love to bring up this slide to remind me and to remind you, I don't know if you guys in the 1970s when I was growing up, I remember this uh, commercial on for Anjali and it was the song, you can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan and never let your, and wait, hold on, bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan. Never let him forget he's your man or something like that. All right. So the Anjali phenomenon. And I would say, you know, there are people missing in this photo because here women are being brainwashed into doing it all, right? Taking care of the kids, taking care of the husband, and putting on the sexy negligee at night to take care of your man. So in this, they're missing the chauffeur, they're missing the cook, they're missing the maid, they're missing the personal assistant, they're missing a lot of people. So I will say we, as women, can do it all, just not at the same time. Pacing ourselves is critical part of self-care, and I think that's really underappreciated in our society. Now, in research looking just in, in my uh, community, looking at sexual dysfunction, uh, we ran a large study and it looked at that our population of women, average age is, you know, 90% of my population is from age 30 through age 65. So 70% of these women said they had issues with arousal. 64% of women had troublesome vaginal or vulvar dryness. 62% women note discomfort during or after sex, and just under 70% of women said they had experienced urinary leakage when coughing, sneezing, and the like. These are huge numbers that we can improve. We have to ask the questions in order to get the answers. So one of the key underlying issues of sexual dysfunction, one of the seven key areas is, is the psychological causes. So having a questionnaire where you ask about these questions, what are their ideas about sex? How were they raised to think about intimacy? What were their early sexual messages? Were they victims of sexual abuse? What are their religious and cultural beliefs? 
How is their relationship with their partner? And are they able to communicate their needs? This is part of a questionnaire that um, people take when they do my sexual CPR program, a three-page questionnaire that I have. So um, <laughs> our dog's happy, he agrees, ask these questions. So that's part of it. Emotional causes of sexual dysfunction. Um, well, I think it's really important to look at the impact of physical issues on women's quality of life, libido, and overall sexual satisfaction. And then when we're looking at emotional causes, what are the emotions that tie to that? How do they feel about themselves? How do they feel about their partner? Are they having issues with anxiety, depression, and um, the self-talk that goes on? This is a really huge piece. Well, 80% of women report they experience in the reveal study, it showed that 80% of women experience pain during intercourse. And in the revive study showed that 23% of women reported their vaginal atrophy symptoms affected their overall enjoyment of life. And it's really important to note, estrogen works on the mucosal layer, but DHEA and testosterone work on all three layers of the vaginal wall. And that has the biggest impact in improving vaginal atrophy symptoms. So 59% of women reported that their vaginal atrophy symptoms affected their enjoyment of sexual activity. And in one study, only 17% of adults said they'd ever discussed their sex life with their doctor. First of all, you have to feel safe and they have to feel safe and you have to open the conversation. Often it's when our hands on the door as we're leaving the exam room that the patient says, you know, and doc, I don't have any sex, sexual desire. I have no libido. And um, that's when it's a three hour discussion. That's really why I created the sexual CPR program. So there's also medication induced sexual dysfunction, antiandrogen drugs, such as flutamide, GNRH analogs, certainly cytotoxic chemotherapeutic agents, as well as psychoactive drugs, pretty much all of them and mood stabilizers. There are some reported to be better than others yet, you know, it's, it's so very, your results are so variable. Um, they're sedative of hypnotic, such as alcohol, benzodiazepines, and sleeping pills, and antidepressants, such as your SSRIs and tricyclics. The, SS, um, the SSRIs, again, some better than others. The SNRIs, some better than others, is, again, very individual. So in looking at this, and we go into physical health and physical causes of sexual dysfunction, let's first clarify what is a healthy vagina. A healthy vagina has an acidic pH. That's the first line of defense. I mean, through the vagina, you know, sperm and other bodily fluids, bacteria, parasites, et cetera, can be transferred into a woman's body, right? In through, in through the cervix, into the endometrium, out through the fallopian tubes, into the peritoneum, right? That's what sperm do. And that's how we get pregnant. And other things as well can create a significant problem. But the pH of the vagina is first line of defense. Many um, deodorant, vaginal deodorants, douches, perfumes, you know, cleansers, et cetera, can affect the pH. And also as we get older, the vaginal pH naturally becomes more alkaline and yeast strains will stay dormant. So the predominant bacteria in the vagina is predominantly lactobacilli, but there are many strains, including 
Lactobacillus crispatus, L. gasseri, L. inert, I think I said that right, Iners, L. genseni, and these appear to dominate the vagina of most healthy women. So vaginal probiotics can be used as an assist to help with vaginal health, as well as, again, good gut health is an indicator of good vaginal health. And again, good vaginal health is a good indicator of good gut health. But um, they kind of they kind of follow suit. The vagina also has healthy secretions, glandular secretions from the vulvar glands, sebaceous, sweat, Barthlins, and Skeen's glands, as well as exfoliated cells. We see those, and when we're looking under the microscope at a wet prep, and also cervical fluid, endometrial cavity fluid, and, fallop- and fluid from the fallopian tubes. All of those are detected within the vaginal microbiome. An unhealthy vagina. Well, 75% of women in the U.S. will have at least one yeast infection in their lifetime. And uh, again, the vagina is is an extension of the gut. Really, an unhealthy gut is an unhealthy vagina. That mucosa is very sensitive and the pH is crucial. And toxins matter. So personal care products, reusable toxin-free sanitary products, another great option, as well as other infections and pain disorders and hormonal changes all cause and can cause an unhealthy vagina. And let's say it together, the vagina is essential for life. None of us would have gotten here without one. So, so important. And I love this quote, and I will quote these scientists, these microbiologists, um, who wrote in women and their microbes. And I always say, I wish I wrote this myself. The human vagina is an underappreciated organ that is not merely a passageway for vaginal discharge, menses, sperm, and neonates, but can profoundly affect the health of generations. Man, that's a good quote, right? The human vagina is an underappreciated organ that is not merely a passageway for vaginal discharge, menses, sperm, and neonates, but can profoundly affect the health of a generation. So cool. Here's an image of normal vaginal pathophysiology. So we look at the, um, then this slide, the screen to the left, you see thick, healthy, beautiful endometrium, thick vaginal wall with normal rugations. So the natural folds within the vagina. And as we age after estrogen loss, as well as progesterone, testosterone, DHEA loss, right? Estrogen is not lost in and of itself. Estrogen, I mean, is made, we need progesterone, DHEA to make estrogen and, and estrogen, of course, made from testosterone as well. So it is not in isolation and we can't look at vaginal atrophy as as solitarily caused by estrogen loss. So here we can see uh, the significant atrophy that's occurring along the vaginal walls. And let me just tell you, if you go down a water slide while it isn't wet, you will understand why foreplay is so important. (laughs) Many women power through sex as we get older. And, you know, and I've heard this from many patients. Well, I just power through. Yes, it hurts. Yes, I have a discharge afterwards. Yes, it's uncomfortable for days. Or yes, I get a urinary tract infection. Um, but I power through because I know I've got, you know, that's makes them happy. Well, there are mirror neurons and he senses it, right? So it, it's uh, the most, one of the, the most energetic and intimate thing we can do is have sex right? The, the most. 
And so having that intimacy, at least claiming that during this intimacy, it's really powerful. So what I teach and what I want women to know is that her pleasure is his pleasure. She's not enjoying it. Neither will he. Okay. It creates a lot of disconnect in the relationship unspoken because each is trying to please the other. He ends up not wanting to hurt her discomfort. She's not interested. I mean, again, if you have pain, every time you do something, why would you want to do it? You wouldn't. So we'll give you a couple cases here. This is uh, Venus, a 62 year old white female who came to me complaining of vaginal pain. She was on multiple meds, including clonazepam, a statin, omeprazole, tramadol, aspirin, and vaginal estrogen two times a week. She had a past medical history significant for migraines, high cholesterol, and high triglycerides, as well as gastroesophageal reflux disease. And so her past surgical history, she had a total abdominal hysterectomy and the removal of the left ovary at age 30. And due to endometriosis and ovarian cyst at age 55, consider that a young age, considering that's my age. At age 55, she had a cystocele and rectocele repair. In other words, anterior and posterior repair of the vaginal walls. Her lab showed all her hormones low, but within normal range, low. Okay. Her TSH was 3.85. That's listed as normal. Her free T4 was one, free T3 is 2.6 and triglycerides 245. She had negative thyroid antibodies. Physical exam showed significant vaginal atrophy, a diminished clitoris and a suture palpable on the anterior wall of the vagina with fibrocystic breast. She had significant findings. So on examination, so every time she had sex, she had discomfort. So I treated her with a vaginal combination of, um, biased at 80-20 mixture, 1.25 milligrams with progesterone 30 and a one and one milligram testosterone. I had that all combined into a vaginal suppository wetted in emu oil. Cause I found, I found, and I find that that has the best absorption. If I had my Jolva cream out now, I would have put this on her as well. I also put her on iodine and additional thyroid support. I put her on Omega's Krill and my Mighty Maca Green supplement. So she followed up in two months and she had no pain. She had increased orgasm and no migraines and state she was feeling frisky again for the first time in many years. Now, what's fascinating is because I brought her back in after this treatment so that I could remove that suture and repair that area of the vaginal wall where the suture was exposed and causing trauma. Well, she didn't have any pain anymore. And on vaginal exam, I could no longer see that blue proline suture, could no longer see that. So I didn't need to operate on her. And, you know, and that's it, doing great. So that's the power of uh, vaginal hormones. So when we look at using vaginal hormones safely, I definitely also, when we're using testosterone, I always refer to the work of Dr. Rebecca Glazer. Um, out of Michigan and just her work on looking at testosterone in breast cancer patients is superior. It's really superior and you should all be familiar with her work. And the work of um, vaginal DHEA is, um, is just incredibly powerful and copious. And the work that was done in Montreal and um, again, 
powerful research. So looking at systemic and local effects of vaginal DHA for uh, safety is an important, you know, important studies. And I've been following this research for, for many years, for many years now, and the safety studies of using DHEA topically or vaginally um, are very reassuring. So in our, in our most delicate patients, right, including our breast cancer patients. In this study reported in Support Care Cancer in 2018, looked at DHEA and noted it's helpful for treating vaginal symptoms. And they evaluated uh, vaginal cytology in women with a prior cancer history. They looked at postmenopausal women diagnosed with breast or GYN cancers. And if they had moderate vaginal symptoms, they were uh, participants. And they could also be on tamoxifen or aromatase inhibitors. So this is really one of the best studies looking at this. Women were randomized to look at 3.25 versus 6.5 milligrams of DHA versus a plain moisturizer, which was the control, and watch their sex steroid levels over 12 weeks. And what they found is that the women, like they had 345 women contributed blood and 46 contributed cytology and pH values. The circulating DHEA and S and DHEAS and testosterone levels were increased in those on vaginal DHEA in a dose-dependent manner compared to the uh, moisturizer, the control. And estradiol was increased in those on 6.5 milligrams, but not on 3.5 milligrams, and not in those on aromatase inhibitors. So biomarkers of bone formation were unchanged in all arms and maturation of vaginal cells were 100% on the 3.25 milligrams per deciliter, 86%, sorry, yeah, um, 86% on the 6.5 and 64% on the cream. So very interesting that maturation was um, noted in, in all of them. The pH decreased more in the DHA arms, which again, to go from an alkaline pH to acidic pH is our goal. So while these levels were increased, they were not significantly elevated. So, and again, in normal healthy range. So we see an improvement overall. So um, DHA, the conclusion, DHA resulted in increased hormone concentrations, though still in the lowest half or quartile of the postmenopausal range, and provided more favorable effects on vaginal cytology compared to the moisturizer and estrogen com concentrations in women on AIs were not changed. And again, further research is warranted, but can give you a confidence in doing this, as well as looking at the role of many studies published listed here, looking at the role of DHEA in providing a protective role against cancer and, um, and feeling again, confident that even with vaginal DHEA, we can see an improvement in sexual function without negative systemic effects in women with breast and gynecologic cancers, but women are continually being denied access to these therapies. So uh, more and more with the work I've been doing and education I've been doing too, and colleagues around the world using Jolva and or prescription vaginal DHEAs, we see an improvement and we're seeing an increased comfort level and the quality of life of the patients improving significantly. So, um, 
in this, you know, really hallmark study that was published in 2001, when I first started working in, uh, you know, earlier in sexual health and medicine, this research was so powerful because this was a 12 year follow-up of estrogen replacement therapy after breast cancer. And it concluded that use of estrogen replacement therapy in a cohort of breast cancer survivors with tumors of generally good prognosis was not associated with increased breast cancer events compared with non-estrogen replacement therapy users, even over a long period of follow-up. Again, feeling safe and always feel better with transdermal than oral estrogen, certainly, again, but the vaginal health targeting this area in individuals is, is always transvaginal or topical transdermal, and we see the improvement. And another study listed here, we look at, again, the intracrine formation of androgens and estrogen in, in peripheral target tissues. Addressing the topical application has that intrinsic formation of estrogen and, and androgens. Again, supporting not just the mucosal layer, but all three layers of the vaginal wall. In this work published in 2009 in breast cancer research, it looked at testosterone action is antiproliferative, prevents growth, and proaptotic increases cancer cell growth. So important um, information on testosterone and breast tissue and primate. So we like to look at this research to get a comfort level when we are using any hormonal therapy, certainly in our routine patient population, but especially in patients with breast cancer. So in uh, another study published by Hoffling in 2007, looked at a six-month trial of estradiol progesterone with or without testosterone, and it showed no increased breast cell proliferation in the estradiol progestin plus testosterone group. Again, they would have gotten even better results if they used bioidentical progesterone instead of uh, progestin, because in the estradiol progestin group, they did see increased breast cell proliferation. Men and women are different. We do things differently. We feel things differently, right? Where erogenous zones are different. Okay. This is a little sarcastic imagery here, but um, I think I make my point. Another client I had with um, uh, trouble with orgasm, Lindy, who was a 37 year old uh, patient who had had two natural vaginal deliveries and was married 15 years and was during her entire 15 years had no ability to orgasm, had no orgasm with intercourse, only with self-stimulation, right? Her story is not alone. Approximately 10 to 25% women, that's the case. So um, in working with her in these seven areas of sexual health, we're able to have her with Sensate Focus, um, G-Spot, injection. So O-shot or G-shot when, you know, can use either and really focused um, uh, therapy, she was able to achieve orgasm. So addressing mental health, physical health, detoxifying hormones, addressing patient partner communication that can be re reduced, you know, that can be um, overcome, those complications can be overcome. So, um, <laughs> so what percentage of women reach climax 
according to the research, approximately 10 to 15% of women never experience a climax. I like to differentiate climax from orgasm. Climax being that, you know, two to 12 second event, right? And um, orgasm being more of the experience, because in the experience, we experience an increase in oxytocin, which is what we want. Up to 75% of women do not experience climax with intercourse. And it often becomes a goal for him to have one or her goal for him to have one and really is a sensitive issue. And I would say that, you know, when it comes to this, one of the first things I teach in my sexual CPR program is that her pleasure is his pleasure. So for the woman to really hear that, like if, you know, your communication, your being present, your ability to enjoy and experience this pleasure is, is the cherry on the cake for him. Okay. So, you know, so this is really important to address. You don't, and again, understanding that the climax is not the end all be all communicating the orgasm, the experience, taking the pressure off the, you know, uh, you know, out of the picture. And I would say even the best athletes need coaches. Well, there are many stages of sexual response. This is the master Johnson, um, diagram, which showed us, uh, the excitement plateau orgasm resolution phase is a very masculine sexual response. A female sexual response is quite a bit more complicated. I always say it's more like the game of Candyland. Sometimes you get ice cream cone, sometimes you're stuck in the mud, sometimes you're all the way back at zero. So, and that's a, a very feminine experience. Now, um, it's also normal to have secondary desire. And what does that sound like? When a, um, you know, initial relationship, primary desire, like, hey, I'm, you know, just feeling turned on, I'm interested, honey, let's have sex. Secondary desire is, I get, you know, I'm not turned on initially, I don't want to, but once we start, I get turned on. So, and that's secondary desire. Once we start, oxytocin increases, dopamine increases, and then your turn on increases. So that's a normal feminine response. This is another great patient, Carly is a patient of mine who had a history of Hodgkin's lymphoma. Of course, our patients who have had Hodgkin's lymphoma have a significant increased risk of breast cancer. She also had a history of breast cancer. She came to see me at uh, 49 years old with you know fatigue, memory loss, brain fog, uh, vaginal dryness, decreased desire in sex. And she was on her second marriage. They'd been married for seven years and she was really struggling. So I take her through my approach and I write about my approach and the hormone fix. So, you know, take her through the hormonal detox, clean up her diet, address her hormones and safely consent her to hormonal therapy. And honestly, her testimony is a beautiful one. Not only did she revive her her sex life, her vaginal health, her, her self-confidence returned, her memory returned. And she finished her PhD work that she'd been working on for 15 years. She finished that PhD work and opened up an equine therapy clinic in South Georgia. I'm just really proud of her. All our hormones, right, cause... Um, there are hormonal causes of sexual dysfunction. Again, I said our reproductive hormones, they're minor. So I put them here at the bottom, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, melatonin, vitamin D, and pregnenolone. Still, right, critically important. But um, adrenaline, 
cortisol and insulin, especially cortisol and insulin. We have to get those under control by alkalinizing our diets, get control of cortisol by controlling, checking your urine pH because cortisol increases hydrogen ion secretion across the renal tubules. So we want to address that because that's going to show you in your urine, you can be eating the best food, but your urine pH will still be acidic because of cortisol. And then you're burning the candle at both ends, right? And, you know, I mean, what can we do? So really address that. And oxytocin is the most alkalinizing. So in contrast, you can be drinking wine out with a group of friends and partying it up and have a very alkaline urine at the end of that day or wake up with it the next day. Again, oxytocin, the most alkalinizing, the hormone of longevity and quality of life. So that's why I say the oxytocin hormone is the most powerful hormone in our body. And it's crucial that we, you know, we address that and stress the importance of it. So, and what is better than an apple a day? Certainly an orgasm a day. And orgasm is one of the number one days to increase, the number one ways to increase oxytocin. So oxytocin is the hormone of nurturing attachment and relationship of pleasure, of happiness. And also oxytocin creates appetite reduction pain relief. That's why we forget the pain that childbirth puts us through. A huge oxytocin uh, time of delivery, orgasm and sexual arousal. And we also know that oxytocin increases muscles mass, even in the aged and has tremendous anti-aging effects. So we want to address stress so that we can address cortisol and empower oxytocin. When cortisol goes down, oxytocin goes up. Now, when cortisol goes up, oxytocin goes up as well. To wrap up this discussion, again, I, I really like to emphasize the importance of the whole body approach when we can, right? The whole body approach and how important sexual function is to quality of life and sexual relationships. And it's not just about testosterone. It's not just about estrogen and certainly not helped by an antidepressant. We have to address the underlying, underlying reasons that this is going on. So certainly vaginal hormone, they address the cause. Okay, address the reason. If it's vaginal atrophy, we want to restore all layers of the vaginal wall and beautifully can do that with the anti-aging therapies, the anti-aging cream, um, Jolva, anti-aging vaginal hormone therapies. Those are all things we can do. Then, you know, we know phlebanserin, which is considered the female Viagra, however, no one seems really excited about it, right? And the other medications that come in and out of popularity for sexual dysfunction really help, you know, as, as GYNs and as working in this field, kind of losing faith in pharma when it comes to this. So looking at, um, you know, off-label solutions, like again, vaginal hormone therapies and um, other than estrogen, testosterone, DHEA, topical DHEA, um, and, you know, vaginal laser therapies have been used controversy, certainly pre menopause, there seem to be beneficial post menopause, they're not, you've got to restore the integrity of the tissues. So I know we have clinics that use Jolva as part of their pre op regimen, and their post op regimen and are getting much better results in their post menopausal patients. G spot injections or O shot injections, you can do that with plasma rich plasma can do that. And I use maca a lot of my patients. I've been using it now for close to 15 years in the combination that I created. And 
um, we found tremendous results, but the research, again, research-based research has showed lower anxiety and depression in MACA users and lower measures of sexual dysfunction in MACA users. And I've listed some of that research here. And this is the combination that I use has all these ingredients in it. So your Monday morning takeaways are to address the sexual health concerns and validate them. Treat the couple, discuss vaginal changes and offer vaginal hormonal therapies and um, create a combination that works for them. I've listed some of my favorite things here and um, refer to virtual education programs that patients can do on their own time um, and privacy in their own home. And I've listed sexualcpr.com here because there is a free webinar, free hour uh, webinar that goes with it. And then we can all feel so confident that our vagina is beautiful. And I love this tattoo. It is not my back, but oh my goodness, should I be so bold, right? My vagina is beautiful, tattooed on her back. All right. This is how you can connect with me in person. And um, I look forward to answering any future questions and am so happy to help you on your journey in addressing this really important issue of sexual health in, um, in women. All right, you guys, thank you. And this is where you can follow me at Dr. Anna Kabeca, um, my website, dranna.com, and also at The Girlfriend Doctor on Instagram and um, YouTube. Thank you guys. There's a lot of information in this show, in this podcast. And I want to share with you that it is, there's so much more too, but predominantly understanding the physiological changes and the seven key areas of our sexual health is so critical to understanding what our next right step is and to also often unburden some of the guilt, grief, uh, self-sabotage that can be in our lives as well. So I wanna encourage you to probably listen to this two, three, four times. And for my physician colleagues, you know, without a doubt, you know, I understand the journey. And I always say, I wish no physician, I wish no one, no one, the journey I've been on to gain the information I've had. And certainly the products and programs I developed have been because of my own journey, because of my own doctor bag being empty and needing to fill it with natural solutions that I had confidence in that could help me and my patients that are safe and natural in so many ways. And it started with way back with my women's restorative health program and then my sexual CPR program, then my magic menopause program and my books, the hormone fix, keto green 16 and my next book menopause and my products. My first product I created on my own was mighty maca plus from my journey around the world. And then from there, my pure balance cream and my Jolva cream and my keto green shake. And, and now to soon to be released, my nightcaps, my lit formula, my hair formula. I mean, these are for me and answering the call for women to provide natural solutions that can really help them that have been clinically tested, physician recommended, and I can put my stamp of approval on. And these are my own individual creations. And so it's, it is part of, um, part of my mission to get these solutions to you. And it's never a potion, a pill, a product in and of itself. It's helping you become aware of your next right step. What's your next right step for you? And how maybe often we can help those around us by being our best selves.
and then, right, put your oxygen mask on and then put, put it on your loved one. So I'm here for you. And again, I love being your girlfriend doctor. Thank you. Be sure to watch this video on um, my YouTube channel at the Girlfriend Doctor Club. You'll be able to see the video and the slides and also post any comments and questions right there. All right, till next time.